Okay, we'll begin now. Um, thank everybody for tuning in. We are in middle of our exploration of the Haggadah Shel Pesach. For those who are new to the class, this is a shiur on tefillah. We finished the main topics of the tefillot Hashanah and you know the tefillot of the Chol and weekday and Shabbat and Yom Tov. We moved on to some of the more, uh, some, to some of the less frequent prayers. Because Pesach was approaching, we began with Haggadah Shel Pesach. And we haven't made it as far as I would have loved. Perhaps we can continue on Pesach itself if we get the opportunity. However, tonight we are up to, at least we got as far as Magid, and we are in the section of Avadim Hayinu. So most people who are familiar with the Haggadah will know that the Magid begins with an Aramaic introduction of Halach Ma'anya, that behold in front of us is the bread of uh, affliction. And then, right after this Aramaic introduction, we have the Manishtana. The Manishtana, as we discussed last week, is an ancient part of the uh, Haggadah. It's written in Hebrew, it's uh, quoted in the Mishnah, and it is understood by many to be a mitzvah midoraita, to have this dialogue and to have this, even a monologue, of question and answer, and to have a expounding and a retelling of the story and the miracles of the Exodus of Egypt. These are initiated by the questions of the children, and the Manishtana launches into the rest of the Magid, where the leader, or uh, some would say even uh, the followers as well, the leader will continue with the rest of the Magid. So we discussed last week more about Manishtana, how you know in the Mishnah there might have only been three questions. Today it's very well known as four. Uh, it was most likely, as Vilna Gaon said, they probably added the fourth just to correspond the four uh, questions and the four sons uh, and the four cups all together so that there should be a rhythm or a pattern of four in the Pesach, in the Seder. So that's why, we, as we mentioned last week, the Manishtana today contains four questions. And we analyzed each one of those questions last week in a little bit more depth. Avadim Hayinu is practically the response of the leader to the questions of Manishtana. And it doesn't answer all of them explicitly. However, it is a start to the children understanding what the story is or what is the story behind the commemorations made at the Seder um, on, the night of, on the night of the Pesach Seder. So Avadim Hayinu also um, is part of the very core, very original Haggadah, the, the telling over and the Agadot that were told in the time of the Amoraim and the time of the Tanaim that we retain till today. And Avadim Hayinu is mentioned first <coughs> I'm sorry, in the Gemara in Psachim. And I want to look at that together tonight so we can see where it comes from. And that's going to be our launching board for this discussion. So let's look in the... I'm going to share my screen. This is Daf Kuftet Zayin Abu Aleph. I don't have the sound. Huh? Okay. 
So tonight, we'll begin with the Gemara, and which is the, the Mishnah and the Gemara begin to um, show us, sorry, let me exit some things here on my computer, begin to show us the roots for the Abadim Hayinu. So let's look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah here said the Manishtana that we discussed last week, and then it said, and as per the intelligence of the children of the son or the child, um, again Ben in, in, in Hebrew as gender neutral, it, it can mean the child. Aviv his father teaches him. He begins with the disgrace and he completes with the praise. Vidoresh, and then he says a drasha, me arami oved avi kula. Until he finishes the entire uh, parasha of the psukim of arami oved avi. So, first, the first thing we see here is that it seems that in the time of the Mishnah, it was understood that there was no fixed. Um, text to the Haggadah because you should expound uh, you should make it longer or shorter depending on how intelligent your children are that's first of all second of all it gives us a an anonymous prayer uh, sorry an anonymous uh, nusach that we're supposed to say you begin with with genut and you finish with shvach what does that mean and the Gemara is going to, to ask exactly what does that mean? Like, what are you referring to a story, a, 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 a Haggadah of some sort? And finally, it tells you to be Doresh Aramiyoved Avi. So, in our Haggadah today, this Drashav Aramiyoved Avi is one of the oldest Midrashim, um, which is contained in the, in the, in the Pesach Haggadah, in the, in the Haggadah Shal Pesach. And the, in the Haggadah, it goes through one after the other. One after the other, you have the pasuk, and then it expounds on every area of, of that pasuk, one after the other. So the Doresh Marami Ovedavi, also incidentally, because we won't get we won't get up to this, so I just wanted to mention this. When it says that you have to say drasha, you must say necessarily that these drashot here that are in our Pesach Haggadah, the the um, expoundings uh, that the that the Haggadah does all of the, all of the of the midrashim on this pasuk must be actually very very old because there's no way that the that the Mishnah assumes that every single person is smart enough to make his own drashot. It must be talking about some sort of uh, you know midrash yadua, some sort of famous or known midrash. And therefore, because the Mishnah is using these terms so easily, like oh, you start with the Gnut and the Shvach, and oh, you, you're Doresh Marami Ovedavi, even though even though the Mishnah knows that not not everybody is a scholar, it must be referring to some sort of um, it must be referring to some sort of known text, and that is what we have in our Haggadah today. So now let's look a little bit down on the bottom of the Gemara, and the Gemara asks very simply, Matchil Begnut Shvach. My Begnut, what does it mean that you begin with the disgrace of the Jewish people? Rav Amar, Mitchila Ovde Avodat Gilulim Hayovatenu. In our Haggadah, it's Mitchila Ovde Avodat Zara Hayovatenu, right? In the beginning, our forefathers were idol worshippers. Vishmuel Amar, Avadim Hayinu. Shmuel says, no, you say the paragraph known as Avadim Hayinu. It doesn't give the rest of the Nusach, but this is what Shmuel says. Amar Leir Avnachman Ledaru Avde, and then there's a little bit here of a story. 
Can everybody hear me? Yes, no? Okay. Ravid Nachman um, told his servant Daru, I've done my pikle mare le hair. If you hear me, no one hears you. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Okay, one second. Do you hear me now? Yeah, now we hear you. Yes, I, I just you. muted myself and unmuted. Okay. That's weird. Works for me too sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. That's bizarre. Okay. So, all right. Awesome. Now, what do we have here? I'm going to start again here in the Gemara. Um, where we were, my big news, Rav Right, Rav says that in the beginning our forefathers were over the Shmuel says no, Avadim That's what that's what it means to begin with disgrace. Okay, that's the first thing we should say. And Shmuel says, Rav says mitchila, and Shmuel says Avadim Hayinu. Now there's a little story here. Amar Rav Nachman Ladaru Avdei. Rav Nachman told his servant Daru. Uh, if you have a master who to, uh, frees his servant and gives him gold and silver, what should he do? He said, well, he should praise him and thank him. He said, ah, by telling us this, you've already uh, exonerated or whatever, you've fulfilled our obligation for saying, and he began by saying the words, so, there is a difference in understanding over here um, precisely what the Gemara means. Have I stopped the share? I think I have. Okay, good. So first of all, we know from the Pesukim in the Torah itself that there is somewhat, the Torah does give us some guidance for what to answer our children after the Manishtana. And instead, the Gemara says, no, 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 we begin with this famous text, Avadim Hayinu. Now, Avadim Hayinu itself is a pasuk in Dvarim. However, in our Haggadah, it's paraphrased. And it's in the, it's in the end, instead of saying, uh, forgive me, it says, It basically adds extra words to the end of the Avadim Hayinu. Now, <coughs> there was the text that we have today um, is a little bit longer than the actually than the older text. So let's discuss the Amoraim first. Okay, so exactly what is Rav and Shmuel arguing about here? Rav said that we should start with Mitchila. Shmuel says we should start with Avadim Hayinu. So some of the Rishonim understand that they're just arguing over which one to start with. Some of the Rishonim understand that no, one holds you say one, one holds you say the other. Um, others understand that one is adding to the other. You know, uh, Shmuel is adding onto what Rab said. And even more, some say that no, they were never arguing. One invented one, one invented the other. So there's many different ways of understanding this, this Gemara. Now, the Nusach of the Gemara is actually a bit of a mess. All over the Rishonim, you'll find, and the early texts of the Gemara, pre Vilna, you'll find many different versions as to who these um, interlocutors are. Was it Rab and Shmuel? Was it Rabbah? And Rabbi Yosef, was it Ravan or Rabbi Yosef? There's so Rabin even is one of the contenders. So there are so many different versions as to who said what. 
But ultimately, the the early post scheme, like the Rabbein, like Rabbein Hanan, the Rif, the Rush, the Rambam, all of them paskin the way the Rabbein Hanan says Vehaidano, and today Avdina um, Kitavai, we do both. Rabbein Hanan says, and it sounds like this is a language from the from the Gionim, that we do both. We do both like Rav. We do both like Shmuel. We say Avadim Hayinu, and we say Mitzchila. So regardless, we see that even though this might have been disagreement between the schools of Rav and Shmuel, today we do both. First we do Avadim Hayinu, and then a little further on we do Mitzchila. Beautiful. Now, there is some disagreement as to precisely when this form was settled. So uh, Rabbi Menachem Endel Kasher himself, in his, in his uh, Torah Shalema, he's quite an expert in the style of Rabbeinu Hananel and in earlier Geonic texts. And from his analysis of Rabbeinu Hananel and other Geonic, and other Chuvot HaGeonim, he believes that this practice to say both, Avadim Hayinu, and to say Mitzchila, was settled already early in the time of the Savoraim, we meaning the early redactors, the the later Amoraim, the early Geonim, those who redacted the Talmud, they were already the ones who uh, followed both ways. And we already see in a tshuva from Rabbi Gaon, which is roughly in the ninth uh, century, that he in their time they were definitely saying both. So we know that the Gemara says both two opinions. It doesn't paskin. But it seems that we hold of both, and this has been the halacha for a very, very long time. Now, the the development of it clearly um, began in the time of the Amoraim. Um, Rabbi Professor Daniel Goldschmidt goes through how, uh, and he he cites various kvarot to 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 show this to show how this is true. But he believes that the the, these are basically introductions or or alternatives to Arami Oved Avi, because stop and think about it for a second. Arami Oved Avi is itself a disgrace, right? You're saying that my uh, that a an Arame, Aramean um, uh, tried to destroy my father, and in another interpretation of the, of the Gemara, it says that my father was an Arami Oved. Arami Oved Avi, my father was a lost Aramean. This itself is a disgrace. The Gemara and Sota actually says that this Arami Ovedavi, which is what you would say at the, the for the Vidui Bikurim, is the Gemara over there calls it a Ginut. So why wouldn't we just use Arami Ovedavi itself? Like why do we need Avadim Hayinu? Why do we need Mitchila? Why does why does the Mishnah separate Arami Ovedavi from the the Matchil Bignut? It's very strange that we need a Matchil Bignut when Arami Ovedavi itself was also a Ginut. So in his view, perhaps the Arami Ovedavi was one of many different ways to begin the Haggadah. And other ways were added as alternatives, and other ways were added as introductions. And eventually the surviving uh, three top contenders were Arami Ovedavi, Mitchila, and Avedim Hayinu. And eventually what happened was is that they all became uh, the establishment Haggadah, to say all three of them. Now interestingly, the Avedim Hayinu part is not found in the Talmud Yushami in many versions. It is also not found in many texts in the Geniza, which leads some to believe that in Eretz Yisrael they never did 
avadim hayinu. They always held like they always held like, like Rav in Eretz Yisrael, and they only said mitchila hayu of the avotenu, meaning that they would that uh, that basically there was only in Bavel did they adopt this minhag to do all three like we do today. But the the Yushamis never adopted that minhag, and this is very likely this, these kinds of things happened. However. The Yushami Nusach is extinct, and we don't know much about how they practiced the Haggadah in Eretz Yisrael and whereabouts uh, before the 10th century. We really, really don't know much about that Nusach. Okay, so what does it mean? We know what Matzchil Begnut means. It's you begin with the disgrace of the Jewish people. Why are we beginning with the disgrace? Um, most I remember looking at Belsky this week. My wife bought me his, uh, you know, the the Shuriman on uh, his shiurim on Hagadah Pesach, it's very important to remember our roots. The Matzchil Bignut is a very important uh, element to, first of all, for Hakrat Tov, right? There's a direct correlation between how much Hakrat Tov you can give to somebody and how much they did for you. So if we're going to emphasize Hakrat Tov, we have to begin with understanding how low we were before Hakadosh Baruch who rescued us, and for that reason, we're Matzchil Bignut, to know our origins and to properly put in focus the amount of gratitude we have to Hashem. Lastly, we have to understand, uh, secondly, we have to understand also that we weren't chosen as a nation because we were better than other people. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that we were chosen as the Jewish people, as Hashem's chosen people, because we were smarter, better looking, or genetically superior in any way to the other nations. We simply were chosen as Hashem's people because we accepted Nasev and Ishma, and we were the people who Hashem promised uh, our forefathers that if we, uh, like Avraham Avinu was promised, if we are Moser Nefesh for Hashem, we will become his people. And that for that reason, we were chosen, not because we have any other genetically superior um, or, you know, circumstantially superior reason why we are the chosen people. We were just like everybody else. The only thing that differs us from the rest of humanity is that we said we are willing to be Moser Nefesh for Hashem. And that's why we are Matchil Bignut, to tell us, to, t- to explain to our children properly what makes us special. It is only divine right that makes us special. It is only our attachment to Ruchniut which makes us special. Okay. Misayim Bishvach. Okay, so we close with Shvach. What does that mean? What does it mean that we close with Shvach? So there's different understandings of this. The Rambam understands that we close, Avadim Hayinu closes with Shvach because, very simply, it says, um, where is it? I'm sorry. I think, believe the way the Rambam learns it is that, for example, at the end of of Avadim Hayinu, it says, it just the, the next words are, right? The first words are Avadim Hayinu, the last words are, so in the Ramam's view, this is basically a reference to the first stanza of Avadim Hayinu. Similarly, you have in Mitchilav the next begins with disgrace and it ends with Shvach. Yet others saw that this was a little bit more zoomed out. Perhaps the, mat, the Mesayim Bishvach means that the Haggadah begins with disgrace, but all the way at the end of the Magid, we, we conclude with Shvach. And what is the Shvach that we conclude with? We conclude with the Bracha of Baruch Atah Hashem Ga'al Yisrael, right? We have all the way here at the end of the Haggadah, I'm sorry, uh, more precisely the Magid, we have the beginnings of the Hallel, 
which is a praise, and then we say Baruch Hashem Kemalcham Asher Galanu Vegalat Avotenu Misrayim Vegiyanu Lolai Hazel Lachol Bo Matzamar etc. The whole bracha, which is in a way a shvach. So, however you understand it, the first words of the Haggadah have to begin with uh, the disgrace of the Jewish people, and we build it back up from there. Now, in the current um, texts, there's two things I want to point out. So, first of all, in the old, in some of the oldest uh, Haggadot, there's something extra here. If you look in the Seder of Sadia, Sadia Gaon, he has the following. He says, And not just our forefathers alone that Hashem redeem. Rather, Hashem rescued us to Shenemar, and he's quoting the Pasuk, Misham, and, and you have and you took us out from there. And the Rambam says something quite similar to this as well. So in the version of Sadia Gaon, there's an extra part here which says that Hashem didn't just redeem our forefathers, he also redeemed us. This is part of the This is the obligation of everybody to contemplate as if they themselves uh, were redeemed from Egypt on that night. This is the obligation of the of the Mishnah. And more than that, we have to realize that there is a form of redemption. The, the Mikubalim speak about this, that we are getting redeemed tonight on Pesach. Every holiday, there is an essence of that holiday which carries over every year. And, and Pesach, when we celebrate the redemption, we also have some sort of spiritual redemption that comes along with the holiday of Pesach. And that's what we mean by Otanu, Misham, that we ourselves, both our Nishamot were there, and in the present day, we are also being redeemed. Uh, we have some sort of spiritual redemption on the Chag of Pesach as well. Now, Va'afilu, the next part of Avadim Hayinu, says something interesting. It says, and I'm sorry if I keep turning back because I don't have a photographic memory. Va'afilu kulanu chachamim. You know, let me let me actually go a little bit before that. It says, Vi'ilu lohotzi kadosh baruchu atavotenu mimisraim. Right? And if we were not taken out of Egypt, we and our sons and our grandchildren would still be enslaved to Paro Mitzrayim. And even if all of us were wise and all of us were understanding and all of us were elders, we would, and Kulanu Yodima Toran, we all knew the Torah. And whoever. Um, is uh, whoever tells over the story of, of the Yitziat Mitzrayim a lot, he is praiseworthy. So now this is recognized. This va'afilu part. If you look at the if you look at the text itself, you'll realize that it seems to have very little to do with the paragraph before it. First we say, oh, and if Hashem didn't take us out, we would still be mishubadim. And then it continues va'afilu kulanu It's like a separate halacha. So if you look in the earliest versions of the, of the Haggadah, it's, it's not there, actually. Vafilu is actually not there in the earlier versions of the Haggadah, such as of Sadia Gaon and, and other texts in the Geniza. We do not have, um, in those earlier versions, we just don't have this part of Vafilu. Um, Daniel Goldschmidt believes that this was added to the Haggadah from a separate Sefer HaMitzvot, that there might have been a Sefer HaMitzvot like some sort of halacha sefer in early times, pre the Rambam, etc., that, or maybe from the Bahag, something similar, 
which had this text, and it was added to the Haggadah from there. It's, again, the earliest codifier who mentions explicitly that the mitzvah of, Hagad- of, of Haggadah Tisaf Mitzrayim is the Doraita, is the Rambam. So we don't have a codifier earlier than that, but it is it does seem to be a part of some other text that was added into the Haggadah. Now, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to click mute here. So there is further support for this from other versions of the, of the Haggadah where it adds these extra words. For example, the next two paragraphs in the, the next two paragraphs in the Haggadah are the stories of the Tanaim, right? We have the story of Rabbi Yashivan and Tarfo and everybody sitting in Bnei Brak, and then we have the story of Darsha ben Zoma. So in some early text, it continues, after Vafilu, it says, Uma Sehaya. So as if it's explaining itself, in which case the Vafilu and Uma Sehaya were one long uh, you know, were one long extra thing that were added from another source, another text. Otherwise, there'd be no explanation for why we say those two stories here in the middle of the Haggadah. Like, what do they have to do with the Matchil Begnut Maseim Bishvach? It probably came from another text, which, uh, and again, these two stories don't appear in the early texts, like of Sadia and others. So if these two texts weren't there, as well as the Vafilu wasn't there, it's likely that this came from somewhere else and was put in to the Haggadah, and they were all attached. Furthermore, there's also another uh, version in the in the in the in the versions of the in the Shalat Shuvat Hagaonim. It says Lefichach Mitzvah Aleinu Lesaper B'Tziat Mitzrayim, and then it says Vaafilu, almost as if there's a much better continuation. So bridges. It says, and therefore we have a mitzvah to be Mitzaper Yitziat Mitzrayim, and even if we were all Chachamim, and even if we were all Nevonim, we still have a mitzvah. That's a much better transition than what we have right now which is a much harder transition between their story and then a halacha, and then a halacha. So we have these two, two options. One is that there's just a missing sentence, and that bridges the two topics better, which is lefichach, um, lefichach uh, what is the mitzvah lein l'saperitziat misrayim, and this was part of the original text. Or one could say, uh, as Professor Rabbi Goldschmidt uh, suggests, that this was adopted from another um, this was adapted from another source, such as a early Sefer HaMitzvot. Okay. Uh, lastly, okay, that covers that text for now. Um, the <laughs> I wish I had more time or more things to speak about because I wanted to get to the Masiot, the different stories, um, but instead I just wrote down a couple of things I wanted to mention that I remembered to talk about Avadim Hayinu. First of all, the, the next two stories, even though we're not going to get, unless maybe Cholmoid uh, and everybody wants to listen, we won't have time to introduce them now. But I will mention that the first story is only source from the Haggadah Shal Pesach. That's the only source we have for it. It doesn't exist in any other Midrash. It's very unique in that sense that the story is from the Haggadah Shal Pesach and that's where it's known from. And if it was from another text, it's known from that text. Furthermore, the second story comes from Mishnah and Brachot. Why these stories are here and why they deserve interrupting the, the narrative is, again, anybody's guess. The commentators all have various approaches as to why these stories are so important. They seem to be an explanation 
a, a, a proof to the vafilu, and even if you're all wise, and even if you're all understanding, we still have an obligation to uh, to tell over the, the the Pesach story, and I'll bring you a proof. Look, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfon, and all the Amoraim, sorry, all the Tanaim, were so knowledgeable about the Pesach Seder, and still they stayed up all night to to study the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, and therefore it would be a nice bridge if that was the um, if that was indeed the intent. It does seem that that's the intent, but I'm sure there are other explanations for why this was added here. But I mentioned that I was reading Rav Belsky's Sefer this week, so there's one thing that he said over there which I thought was really important about why we need to begin with Avadim Hayinu and why this was chosen that originally we were slaves. So first of all, it's an interesting thing that today the Jewish people are really not so familiar with the concept of freedom. Modern people are not at all uh, <laughs> familiar with the concepts of, uh, sorry, I meant the concepts of slavery, really. Uh, since uh, the 1850s or 60s, uh, f- slavery has been very much uh, not common worldwide. But there's one thing I remember reading uh, in, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Jew in the Middle Ages by by Jacob Marcus. Right there in the beginning, he mentions something I never knew about why Jews never owned slaves. So most of us, if you look at look in the Rambam, the Rambam has a thing in the in the in the in the Mora about why slavery might be morally wrong. But uh, I'm not sure it's in Mora. I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. But many have just assumed that slavery was kind of like something that used to be part of the older cultures and eventually as as society got more mature and more developed eventually slavery fell into disuse and was no longer necessary but for ancient times it was more necessary so the torah gives halachot and it gives morals of how we treat our slaves but the jewish people eventually were you know eventually no longer um adopted slaves because they felt morally it wasn't it wasn't really useful to do so that's how how most most seem to understand it but in in the beginning of the Jew in the Middle Ages he brings this decree from Constantine in the 300s where he says that Constantine made a decree that Jews were actually not allowed to own slaves and Constantine's decree infected the legislation of many other empires so it seems that Jews were just legally barred from owning slaves for, me- for at least two millennia so far. And therefore, the Jewish people have been much less familiar with the concept of slavery for a very long time. That's most likely why the Jewish people haven't practiced slavery in almost 2,000 years, was because of this legislation which began in the time of Const- Constantine to persecute the Jews and put them at an economic disadvantage that they could no longer own uh, slaves. But regardless... Rebelsky says over something which I believe many say over in the yeshiva belt, which is that slavery as an idea means that one is controlled by external forces. You have a master, he tells you what to do, and those external forces control your life. While cheirut or freedom means that your control and your will come from inside of you. And the concept of moving from slavery to freedom means that we dominate ourselves with our own free will. Like it says, There is no one who is as free as one who learns the Torah. And what that means is that a person who is in control of himself and a person who is of understanding of the way that he must 
think and a person who's understanding of the way that he must act, that person is considered free because he acts of his own free will. External forces don't control precisely how he uh, how he acts in his life. And the most common examples for this are really material things. If a person is a slave to his his um, his ta'avot, if a person is a slave to his smartphone, if a person is always being pulled by external things in this world, then he's never really a master of his own of his own uh, life. And understanding cherut means understanding viscerally that we have free will and we are responsible for our own free actions. And when I was thinking about that, what Urbelski was saying, it reminded me of something I read um, Yom Kippur time from Rabbi Sachs. And he has a whole long thing on Pesach, which is also worth reading. But he said it very beautifully in, in, his, um, in one of his speeches on Yom Kippur. He basically makes the argument that freedom is, and well, the free will of men, is a radical idea which was brought into Western thought by the Torah and brought into Western thought by Judaism. Because the Torah begins with Breshit, that Hashem, with radical free will, created created humanity out of Hashem's own pure will, and He gave humanity that free will. That very much from the beginning of Breshit, we are learning that Hashem chose to create man, and He chose to give him the ability to choose between Tov and Ra. This is the story of Breshit, and this is a radical idea. Why is it radical? Because if you look in the, in the writings of the ancients, you'll see that many of them never believed nor gave much thought to this idea of free will. For many of them, uh, it was quite likely that life was predestined and that what was going to happen was going to happen. You had a fate, you had a predestiny. No matter how hard you tried, especially if you look in the, like the, 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 the myths of the Greeks, you find the oracles and the Oedipus and all the, all the different stories of how people try to escape their fate and they never are able to escape their fate. While the ancients didn't seem to believe that free will was A, important, B, existed. But the innovation of the Torah was the insistence that Hashem created our world with His own free will, whatever that means, with a radical choice that He was going to create the world. And His first action was to create a human being with Bechira. And he puts it very beautifully. I, I had to look it up. I had to find, uh, to take out the book and actually flip through it to find the actual, um, sorry, the actual quote. If you give me a second, I will find it for you. And he says as follows. He says, Judaism is the world's great ethics of responsibility, born in the vision of a free God, seeking the free worship of free human beings, honoring the, the freedom and dignity of others. Meaning that the very thought, the very idea of the Torah is that humanity is free and that we are responsible. We both are free to make our own, our own choices and we are responsible in the freedom and the dignity of other people. And we are responsible to honor the free will and the free choices and the accountability of other people. And this Bechirah is, is paramount in the, in the Sipur of Yisiat Mitzrayim, that the Jewish people were not just getting freed as a nation, they were not just getting freed because it mattered for them. It wasn't just because the Jewish people were 
in slavery that Hashem took the Jewish people out of Egypt. Hashem took the Jewish people out of Egypt and He took them out of slavery as a message to the entire humanity that humanity deserves to be free and humanity is responsible for being free and that there is no philosophy and that there is no um, government that can tell you that not being free is okay in any way. The Bechira of the people, the, both as a collective and the individual, is incredibly important for teaching people both the dignity of other people as well as teaching people the accountability for their own actions. Because if you don't believe radically that people are free, you do not believe that they can be accountable for their own actions. You do not believe that there is a motivation or a drive for people to, to aspire to anything, to aspire to any motivation in their life. And you definitely do not believe in respecting other people's freedom as a government or as a leader. And you do not believe in treating other people with dignity if you do not believe in free will. So freedom is not just something which is important for the Jewish people on the night of Pesach. It's not just important for us as our own story. It's important for the entire world. For us telling over the Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim tells over the entire story of the birth of our nation and the importance of our nation. And we teach our children, we teach our children on the Pesach night, not just the Emunah and Hashem, not just the Emunah that He took us out, but we teach them and we give over to them this responsibility to tell the world that Chirut, that freedom, is something that cannot be denied, not just from the Jewish people, but from anyone. And that is the, uh, that was basically the message that Rabbi Sachs said by, in his Yom Kippur Drasham, so I'm sure he had more to say in uh, his uh, Pesach Drasha, he he really loves the idea of free will and freedom of choice. So, I encourage anybody to to look there. He has a book called uh, Ceremony and Celebration, which is a really beautiful book on the Chagim. Okay, so with that, we will end our discussion of Avadim Hayinu. I hope that we can continue next week on Chol Moed. If we have any time, if I have any time to prepare, Hashem help me. Um, we will continue to learn, and then we'll decide if we want to continue Haggadah Pesach after Pesach. So thank you, everybody, for your patience and for your endurance, and hopefully we will continue this fascinating topic in the coming weeks. And we shall pause.